So with all that being the case, I believed that starting with the word, the, the, the person of God and who God is, will be specifically good for us at Redeemer for a good reason. See, since January, we have been walking through the book of Acts. And we've made it through the first 12 chapters. And last week, I kind of summarized some of this for us. But during this time, our large focus here at Redeemer, and I think what God has taught many and most of us, if not all of us, is three things. The dependency of God displayed in active prayer of the early early church. So the importance of the life of prayer of the individual. The dependency of upon God in de- the displayed in actively praying to God. But we also see this supernatural work of God through the empowerment and leadership of the Holy Spirit. So we've learned much about praying to God and communicating with Him and the importance of that. But we've also spent much time addressing how the Spirit of God should be the one that guides us, directs us, empowers us to do the mission in which God is calling us to do. And that God opens up through miraculous means opportunities for us to proclaim the gospel to individuals that would not hear it any other way. Though it may not look like tongues falling from heaven or men and women being physically healed manifested in front of us. It could be opportunities to meet individuals at the gym or at your job or at the school or wherever it may be. And the third thing we looked at was really the the work of the early church in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples as individuals and as a church as a whole. So we see the the furthering of the Great Commission as declared in Acts 1.8. We saw that it was in Jerusalem and in Judea and then Samaria. And then we paused before we got to the ends of the earth. And through much prayer and consideration, what we thought in coming coming to this topic and series is that God wants to renew in us a better understanding of who He is, which prayerfully this understanding of Him better would lead us to worship, know, and serve Him more faithfully in our personal lives, but also as a church. And I'm going to say that again, because I believe that's the heart of why we're going to be doing this theological series on who God is. Is that we prayerfully understanding that knowing Him better will lead us to know, worship, and serve Him faithfully in our personal lives and as a church. Very simply, You cannot have doxology without theology. Doxology means worship. You can't worship God without knowing God. You can't serve God without knowing God. You can't know God unless we study who God is. And so with all of that being in mind, we're going to look at a lot of topics over the next six to eight weeks. But we're going to begin this morning with a topic that I think is helpful And I think it's helpful for many ways. But before I introduce that, I want to make this preface to you. Is that I believe that we're going to spend an eternity long getting to know and to understanding the depth of our infinite God. There's no doubt in my mind that we will be in, in, in heaven with God forever as those who have trusted and believed upon Jesus And when a thousand years passes, we will still not even scratch the surface of understanding our Heavenly Father in the way in which we should. So, if a thousand years can't accomplish that, 
then 30 to 40 minutes on Sunday morning cannot accomplish it either. And so I want to invite each of you, if you have any follow-up questions, find me after the service or during community groups or maybe just reaching out to me directly. If text message or phone call is your preference, that would be fine too. But if you have questions on the topics in which we're discussing, don't let it stop here. Let it to dig deeper and let it and, and let it impact the way in which you not only live your life, but the way in which you view God. And so if there's any questions that you have after this morning's sermon and the next however many sermons, but even as David preaches through Philippians in any other time of the year, seek out to us, reach out to us and we will answer any questions you may have. Now, that's the introduction to the series. And I'm sorry that took so long. Um, but this morning, our topic as you see on the screen, if you can even see on the screen over here, uh, is that God, the God who has revealed himself. See, this morning we will be looking at this specifically. Um, and the reason we are starting here to understand, to know God better, both individually and as a church, is primarily due to the fact that our source text in this next six to eight weeks, the primary source in which we're going to use will be God's word. Okay. And for us to really understand who God is, as I said earlier, there's this circular argument that you have to begin with the Word of God or you need to start with God. Whichever one's true, I'm not sure. But the reality here is for us, for us to understand where our authority lies and looking at the topics of God's sovereignty or God's uh, in, in passability or we look at any attributes of Him. We look at his wrath or his love independently. When we look at these topics, they are hard and they are hard pills to swallow. They're difficult things to wrap our minds around sometimes. And so our authority can't come from within ourselves and it can't come from societal things either. It, it can't, can, can't not come from philosophy or any other reason. For us as believers who have trusted in Jesus, the premise of this morning's message is simply that God has revealed himself to us in several different means. And one of the primary means in which he has revealed himself to us that we hold on to today is the word of God. And that has to be the authority in which we look at in the next six to eight weeks with. So, with that being said, the format of this morning's sermon is going to be in three sections. It's going to be really answering two questions and then finding application in this. The first one, and it's not on the screen quite yet, you'll see it when we get to it, is how has God revealed himself to us? So the point of the message is that God, the God who revealed himself, so the first question we're going to ask is, how has God revealed himself to us? And then the second thing that we're going to answer is, what makes Christianity different in the revelation of their God? And we're going to look at that in detail in just a little while. And then we're going to look at application of what that means for us today. And so to begin with, we're going to start in Psalms 19. And we're going to look at 19 all the way through verse 11. We're not going to quite finish the chapter um, even though I think that verses 12 through 14 is certainly impactful and helpful for us um, for the, the purpose in which we're trying to reveal this morning and understanding how God has revealed himself to us. I believe it is helpful to look at Psalms 19. It's probably the best verses in the Bible in one chapter to do so. And in this, what we're going to see is that God has revealed himself to us. And if we go to the next slide, it's going to show us general revelation. We're going to see two revelations in which God has revealed himself to us, and that is general and special. 
In general, it's going to be the first one we're going to look at. And we're going to look at it through Psalms 19, 1 through 6. And we're going to, we're going to teach through this much like we would any other scripture, okay? So I'm going to read 1 through 6, and then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to break it down verse by verse, okay? It says this, Psalms 19, verses 1 through 6, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveal knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and the circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So I said a minute ago, we're going to be looking at this idea of general revelation here. It begins by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I'm pretty certain I've actually preached Psalm 19 um, here at Redeemer. But it was probably, if I'm remembering correctly, would have been around March of last year, which half of you in the room, if not most everybody but you two, were not here for that. And so it's new to you guys, uh, except for unless you've read it and heard it preached. But for me, it's new to you. But in here, the phrase here is the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, we often can think of the word heaven as the uh, eternal destination of those who have trusted in Jesus. But often in scripture, specifically in the Psalms and in poetry, the word heavens often refer to that of the sky. And I could get Micah on a tangent here of constellations and all of those wonderful things. But the reality here is that the psalmist is saying the sky, the moon, the stars, the sun, the clouds, the rain, all of these things, they declare the glory of God. This is in the sky above proclaim his handiwork. See, this is the reality of God revealing himself through his creation. That through the things in which he's made, he is declaring his glory and proclaiming his handiwork. That there is no one bigger or better or greater than God. As I was asking Lottie this morning in our way here is, what is God? Boys, what is God? The creator of everything and everyone. See, as God is our creator, his creation declares his glory and his handiwork. It says, day to day pours out speech. And the night tonight reveals knowledge. The day in and day out and night in and night out. The rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. The rising of the moon. All of these things, they pour out speech and they pour out knowledge. Speech and knowledge of what or of whom? Of God. Keep on going. He says there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So not only is it speaking and not only is it revealing knowledge, but it is going to everyone. There is no speech nor words whose voice is not heard. It is going to all individuals, no matter what they speak, no matter their tongue, no matter their language, that this is revealed through creation, not through words. That through the means in which God, what God has created, he is revealing himself to be true. It's like the age-old moment where you see a sunset and us as 
millennials and some of you Gen Zs, which I'm feeling old now, um, may even get the urge to take a picture of a sunset on your drive home. Or if you've been to the Grand Canyon or various other locations, you see the miraculous creation in which God has made. And I think internally, for all individuals out there, if they want to admit it or not, or maybe just due to the hardening of their hearts over time, as Paul would say in Romans, the question lingers in their heart of there has to be something greater out there. I think many individuals have sought to answer that question in various different means and ways. But the psalmist keeps going in verse 4. It says, Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent of the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. How does a bridegroom leave his chamber on the day of his wedding? I got to see a friend get married yesterday. Think he tarried and walked slowly to the altar to be married? No. He was in a hurry. He was ready. The reality here he says, look, the sun comes out like the bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with the joy. The sun is rising and the sun is setting. In verse 6, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat that every way in which the sun rises and sets, the glory and the, and the honor and the merit of God is declared to all who receive its heat. For everyone who sees the setting of the sun and the rising of the sun, the glory of God is on display. The knowledge about God and spiritual matters discovered through natural means such as observation of nature, philosophy, and reason. That's what it means by general knowledge or revelation. See, the reality here is that what Scripture would tell us, I think it's individuals that have trusted in Jesus that believe in the inerrancy of Scripture we would hold to the fact that this is something that we can trust and hold on to. What Scripture has declared to us is that God has revealed Himself through His creation. And we're going to get to this in a moment. There's an issue at the heart of general revelation. But before we get there, what I want us to really understand before we get to special revelation is that all people can know that God exists to the general revelation of His creation through the earth, the sky, the animals, etc. The reality here is God is known through His creation. He has revealed Himself to us in that means. But thankfully, it does not stop there, but we also see that God has provided for us special revelation which we find in the next 7 through 11 here. And I'll read all of it and then we'll come back. It says, The law of God is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise to the simple. The prospects of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening his eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than that of gold, even more than fine gold. 
sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them the servants warned, and keeping them there are great reward. We'll keep reading. It's not on the screen, but we'll read 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors, declares the innocent hidden from faults. Keep back your servants from all presumptuous sins, and then let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent in great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We see a transition here in the psalmist's thought process. We see the revelation of God through creation mentioned in verses 1 through 6, but now he's getting to the, the heart of the matter. In verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Speaking of the Word of God, the law of God, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, he's talking about the law of God specifically here. He says, The law of God is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the lord is sure speaking of the rest of this right not only just the law of god but the merit of which god what god was doing in his people making wise the simple the prospects of the lords are right rejoicing the heart and the commandments of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes he's talking about scripture here specifically old testament scripture before that of the, song, uh, the, the time of David. But what he's talking about here is that the law of God is perfect. It says reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. That is more than just revelation through creation. It's revelation through the word of God. The perspective of the Lord is right. The rejoicing of the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The purpose of the law, though there's three purposes here, I believe one of them is mentioned here, is that it's enlightening the eyes. For what, though? The realization of their sin, the sin of the individual. That's why when you go into verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and the righteous altogether. That is, God has specially revealed himself through his creation. God specially revealed himself through his word. What it does is it enlightens our hearts and our soul to the reality of something. Though God is out there, there's something greater in which we are in need of, and that is a savior. Because God has not only revealed himself through creation, but he has revealed himself specifically through his word, which declares to us our need for him. And that he can be known. Then he goes on in verse 10. This is more to be desired than that of gold. And more fine. Even than fine gold or sweeter than honey. And drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is a great reward. But I kept reading in 12. Because I want us to, to read this. And looking at the, the reality of the special revelation. Through the word of God. It says who can discern the errors. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from all presumptuous sins. Let them not be dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
See, the reality of the special revelation is that it leads to something greater than just knowing who God is. It leads us to understanding who God is, but understanding who God is, it leads us to the realization of who we are in our sinfulness and our need for someone greater. We need a rock and a redeemer that would save us from even our presumptions and even from our hidden thoughts. Other places, Scripture would tell us that it is a two-edged sword that cuts deeps to our hearts. See, special revelation is the way into salvation. It is the accomplished through the Word of God. It is how we know that there's not only a God who creates, but there's a God who has an authority and a demand of His people, and that demand is holiness. And because the demand is holiness and they are unable to obtain that in their own personal lives, it also reveals to us there is a Savior that has offered his life for us to redeem and save us. But I believe if we stop there in understanding the two revelations, we would be doing a disjustice. So this next part, though it is relevant to the conversation, it is not as relevant as understanding revelation. But the issue here is that there is an issue with general revelation alone. We're going to look at it in a moment. There's an issue with general and special revelation. But there's an issue with just having general revelation. And this is, um, this is a conversation that is hard. This is a topic that is hard. Uh, we were having a conversation with another gentleman the other week. And he asked us if there was something that we disagreed in Scripture. Um, and I don't. I don't have anything I disagree with in Scripture that I have found thus far in my reading, in my study. But there are things in Scripture that are harder pills to swallow. It's not like that small little pill I take for my gout. It's like that big vitamin that I'm at to take at night. That's just a little bit harder to swallow, and it just tastes terrible going down. But the reality is I still need it, right? See, because when you read Romans chapter 1, 18 through 21, it says... For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, by who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul is just reassuring to us, I think this morning, the reality of general and special revelation, and that is that general revelation is not enough. It is enough to convict us and to reveal to us there is a God. But general revelation will not redeem and save us. Only knowledge of Christ, the Son of God, who lived this life, who died on the cross, who was laid in the tomb, rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave. Who, the only knowledge of that individual and trust in him and dependence upon him and turning away from our sins by repenting and trusting in him. Only that knowledge can save. And that knowledge is not revealed through nature. Even throughout the book of Acts, 
We saw, we saw God doing these miraculous things. I mean, come on, think about even Saul on the road to Damascus, blinded with a bright light. He goes into Damascus. We see there's a vision that occurs for a guy named Ananias. But Paul, Saul is also in this other guy's home that is a believer in Damascus. So there had to be something there for them to get met up with. God is revealing himself to Saul through dreams and visions so that he would be prepared for Ananias to come to pray over him. But Jesus certainly could have redeemed and saved Saul on the road to Damascus, could he have not? So why go through all of that trouble to save a man? I don't know why God would do that. I don't know why God would pick people like you and I to proclaim the gospel to the world around us, but he does. Because God is an extraordinary God that uses ordinary means to save individuals. I mean, even Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, he's over here reading Psalms. And what does God do through the the power of an angel that places Philip exactly where he needs to be and tells him to run after the chariot? He does so. If God could put Philip where he needed to be, why couldn't God just use that angel to reveal himself to the Ethiopian eunuch? Because that's not the means in which God has chosen. So the issue with general revelation, and this is a hard pill to swallow, but this has to be what motivates and pushes us towards missions. Those who never hear the name of Jesus, those who never hear the gospel, when they die, when they take their last breath, I think scripture is clear that because salvation is through Christ alone, that they will die and go to hell. It's a hard pill to swallow. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. We're not God. We can't do anything with that. But what we can do is what he's called us to do and be proclaimers of the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is why the Great Commission is so crucial for us. So, In all of those things, we see that God revealed himself through general revelation and through special revelation. He is a God and he is the God who has revealed himself to us. Then that gets me to the second question I wanted to answer for you guys this morning. And that is the issue or what makes Christianity different in the revelation of their God. And the reason why this is, I think, important to ask it's because as I, I was studying, and I, I normally don't try to quote people, uh, especially people from the, the 1900s, but there's this guy named C.P. Till. He says this, Of the gods of so-called natural religions reveal themselves by the oracles and prophets and by signs and wonders which he observed and or have supposed to observe in nature, especially the duel of heaven and the deviation from the ordinary court of events. And then this guy named Herman, Herman Bafenick, which is a fantastic theologian of the 19th century, says this, Revelation and religion are so closely related, so intimately interwoven, that the one stands or falls without the other. Because the reality of it is there's multiple individuals that we could mention on this topic. But there's a guy named Hamra Arabia. He was a king of the first Babylonian empire. He wrote down his laws 
as revelations from the sun god Tomas. Then you have Muhammad. He received his first revelation when he was 40 years old and was, at, was later repeatedly blessed with a variety of new revelations whose contents are recorded in the Quran. And then among Greeks and Romans, there existed a common belief that their gods were saviors, helpers, and advisors of human beings, and that their own volition, they gave revelation and allowed their will to be discovered by special observation or actions. Why am I saying all this and what does all that mean? Very simply is that every other religion out there has a holy book in which they hold on to and they say it is revealed to them by God. So as we look at the topic of who God is, I think it's crucial for us to ask the question is why is the God of Christianity? Why is Yahweh? Why is Jesus the God in which we should serve? One, he's the only true God. And we could basically say that. But what justice does that give us as intellectual individuals? Because I believe there's one difference in the revelation of Christianity and the revelation of any other religion out there. It's that God revealed himself by becoming a man. Not only in special revelation, not only in general revelation, but in the revelation of his son. See, John 1, 1 through 4. Since in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. The Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was light of man. Then you skip to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Their glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What separates Christianity from any other religion out there is that God not only revealed himself through creation, as they would argue. God not only revealed himself through some kind of holy writings, as they would argue, is that God revealed himself by taking on the flesh of man. But not only by taking on the flesh of man, but Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is, I say this a lot, okay? But this is probably top five favorite verses in all of the Bible. It says, long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All right, so we see pointing backwards to, to special revelation that God spoke to the individuals through the prophets. Says, but in the last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has created the world. Listen to this next verse. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So it's not only that God revealed himself by taking on the flesh, but he did so by making purification for sin. And though I think we all know how this accomplished, I want to explain it to you. Is that we have a holy and perfect God that is the creator of all things. And because he's the creator of all things, he reveals himself through creation. But not only does he do that, but he does so through special revelation, which declares to us the righteousness and holiness and perfection of God in our own sinfulness. 
and our need for God to do something because we can't do it ourselves. And so God, in the revelation of himself through becoming man, he made purifications of sins by becoming sin for us. That when God would see our righteousness, he would actually see the righteousness of the Son. And when he saw the wickedness of the Son, he actually saw the wickedness of our own lives. By taking death upon a cross, being laid in a tomb, he rose again because he had no sin. And in that, in that reality, in that truth, it separates Christianity from all other religions out there. This is the opening of our series through God and who God is. Primarily because special revelation is through the word of God primarily. Uh, Old Testament, it was through prophets and priests and all those things. Uh, starting of the... New Testament, we see some pictures of that as well. But primarily now, the means in which God communicates through us is through the Word of God. But I think it also reveals to us some things about who God is this morning. Not only does it give us the authority of the Word of God, but it reveals to us who God is. And I think the first one here is that since God has revealed Himself to us, both in general and special means... It should cause us to understand that He is a personal God that desires to save all who trust in Him. For some, this could be natural response to understanding that there is a God who revealed Himself in creation, the Word, and in the flesh. That because God has revealed Himself to us, He is a personal God who desires relationship with people. So by chance, if any of you here do not know Christ, my encouragement and my charge to you would depend and trust and hold on to that Jesus who took on flesh to redeem you from your sins. But in the same light, if God is a personal God that desires to save all who would trust in Him, and if general revelation is not enough, Meaning, if the revelation of God through creation is not enough to save and redeem anyone, and if people that truly do not hear the name of Jesus die and go to hell, then this should cause us to be people who proclaim the gospel passionately and lifely, lifelong. Not that we wait until we're at a certain status in life or we feel old enough or prepared enough to do so. And not that when we get to a certain age, we can retire from doing that work and we no longer have to serve him in that way. That if special revelation is not enough and God is a personal God that desires to save, we should proclaim the gospel passionately in our lives. A third one, saying on the theme of God is a personal God that has revealed himself to us. One of the things I mentioned in this point of this series is that knowing God better would not only cause us to know Him better, not only would it cause us to um, ser serve Him better, but it also cause us to worship Him better. So the reality here is that none of us are created by accident, 
but we're created for God, by God, for a purpose. And get it. God desires to know you. And man, that's amazing. Like, I, I don't think we can really wrap our minds around that. But God is holy and righteous. And we were deserving of his wrath. So we're deserving of hell and turning it away from him. But instead, he decided to save us through his son, Jesus. And that should, that should just cause us to glorify and worship him with all that we are. We're going to have an opportunity to sing how great they are in just a little bit. And I want you to, that part right there resonate on you as you declare how great God truly is. Then I think the last application, there's certainly more applications that can come from this. Is that since God has revealed himself to us in his word, and since God is a personal God, that has come to us uh, in flesh to redeem and save us, he's the one that called us to himself and has redeemed and saved us. If he has revealed scripture to us in special revelation, not only to lead us to knowing him, but to lead us in righteousness and relationship with him, then certainly, certainly we should commit our lives to reading this book. This book. Certainly this should be a priority in our lives daily. That daily and that amount looks different for all people. But the question we should ask ourselves, is it a priority in our lives today? Because this isn't any other book, right? And I know this is, sounds cliche and like Christianity and all of those things, but the reality is still there. Is that this is the word of God to us. It is the mean in, means in which we know God, convene with God, and fellowship with God. It's the means in which we could grow in understanding Him here on earth. We should commit our lives to studying this. This past week, I um, was listening, it was Monday, um, I was listening to a podcast by um, Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and it was this woman that had been imprisoned for her faith and beaten for her faith, um, and somehow, just somehow, she was able to have a Bible in prison. I don't know how that happens, how they give a Christian a Bible that has been arrested for their faith, but they, they, she was allowed it. And the thing that she explained in that was one of the primary, two primary things that made it to where she did not hate the people that was killing her, but she loved them. To the point on this podcast, she was coming to tears for the love in which she had for the people that beat her day in and day out and prayed for their salvation. The two things that she contributed that to is one, the prayers of people around the world praying for her, but two, for the word of God that she could read and be strengthened by in her imprisonment. Um, most of us would say that certainly if I was in those situations that's what I would hold on to right I think we would all agree that probably to some extent we probably would if we're in prison for our faith and the only thing we have to do in prison is to sit there and read the Bible and go through our suffering and go through our pain silently that would be our only hope in that moment but what I'm convicted by when I heard that this week and I hope that it, it's convicting to you but restful for you they're all the same is that I don't hold that same sentiment in the ordinary things of life. It would be easier for me to watch a television show for an hour than read scripture for an hour. 
be easier for me to have conversations about God for an hour than know God better in an hour. And you could take that hour and you could drop it down to 30 minutes and the, re- the reality is still the same. The thankfulness for all of this. Is that God has revealed himself to us. He's done it in a very general way through his creation. He's done it in a special way through his word. Man, he's done it in a miraculous and redeeming way by taking on the flesh. And we should be people. We're called to be people that are theologians, meaning that we're people who study God. And how do we study God? Through the Word of God. And as we study God, we get to know God better. He leads us to worship Him and to serve Him with all that we are. My prayer for us this morning is that's exactly what God would lead us to.